What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. We made this. Hello and welcome to Observing the Pattern, a Fringe podcast, where we explore the series episode by episode, season by season. Uh, We've just begun our season two voyage and uh, just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who is still listening, who's still with us uh, and enjoying our chats and ramblings about a TV show that we, we all know and love. Of course, I won't be making this journey alone and today I'm delighted to be joined by Neosha Roma. Welcome. Hey, Luke. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, now, we've done a bit of a roundabout here because actually your first episode of me recording is a later one. So we've done all the kind of introductions and stuff, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Yeah, but uh, that's the nature of podcast recording. You never know which which way you're going to be going. Um, so now, Neosha, just before we uh, talk about the episode itself, I just wanted to get your view, if I may, of what happened during the season one finale and, and the opening episode uh, of season two that me and Brooke had talked about last week. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on on how you reacted initially to the last moments of the season one finale, in particular the inclusion of the World Trade Center on the other side, and how you felt about it, uh, and also how how you feel the season two opener has already kind of created a different feel from season one. Um, so to start out with the, how I felt about the, the season one finale, I was really shocked. And, um, you know, I mentioned this last time we spoke, but I was always one of the fringe viewers that I felt like I was 10 steps behind everybody else. Um, so I actually had, I didn't have to, but I got the box set and rewatched season one before season two started. And I was just like floored uh, by that reveal because it's coming, right? I think we see it in, is it episode 19 of season one where Olivia's starting to like um, have moments where she's on the other side or at least seeing the other side and she doesn't know what's going on and we don't really know what's going on. Um, and so I was really shocked by that. And I was I was shocked by the appearance of the World Trade Center, but not in a bad way, because one of the things that I love that this show has done um, with the idea of the alternate universe, it's not necessarily that one universe is ahead of the other in any sort of way, um, but there are just differences because there are these points of divergence. Um, so for me, I really, really love... Um, how they how they show that how they show that this alternate reality exists, um, how things that 
may look familiar to us uh, don't exist there and vice versa. Also, and this is probably jumping ahead 10, <laughs> 10 to 12 episodes, but <laughs> we later find out that basically their version of the September 11th attacks um, is something completely different. It's entirely different, and it's tied to the mythology of the show. Um, so for me, seeing that, um, it was just really interesting. And I really like the sort of alternate universe idea in fiction because it is nice to see, like, or to play around with the idea of if we change one minor thing here, how does that change everything else? And in this world, it means the World Trade Center um, is still is still standing. So I thought that was one really cool way for them to be like, she's somewhere else. Because um, in 2009, when this aired, we definitely know that is not our New York City. Mm. So I'm sorry. That was a really long way to answer that no, question. No, no, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but And then to get to your point about how season two has a different feel, um, you know, I think for me, it's that we know, we, we've set the stage in season one. So we know these people. Um, we do see Olivia starting to shift a little bit. I know there's been a lot of um, discussion back and forth online, especially about um, Anna Torv in season one versus the rest of the series, um, because it does seem like they write Olivia to be a little bit um, darker, but I, I think that's for a reason in season one. Um, and in season two, you start to see a different side of Olivia. And I think that pretty much starts with this episode where she is starting to acknowledge that she can't do this alone. Yeah, uh, uh, I completely agree. I, I, I like the uh, comment on Anna Torv's um, approach to Olivia. And I think I think the darker Olivia in season one is justified because at least for the first half, first three quarters of season one, you know, she's grieving the loss of John Scott and she's being haunted by images of him. So it, it, it kind of demands a, a, a darker aspect to the character. Mm. Whereas whereas in season two, we're getting settled with the trio dynamic and, you know, we can kind of have a bit of fun with the character, I think. Yeah, it, it seems like it is, we know where we are. Um, we know who Walter and Peter are. We know what some of the stakes are. Um, we know that we're going to be in an alternate universe. It's so, like those things are set. Um, and so now we're really, I think, getting into a more, um, we're getting into an area, I think, of where we're experimenting, not experimenting, sorry, <laughs> where we are looking at these emotions um, and what drives these characters a little bit more closely. And so with that, let's, uh, let's get into some more detail uh, about the Night of Desirable Objects. So episode two originally aired on September 24th, 2009. Uh, it was written by Jeff Pinkner and J.H. Wyman and directed by Brad Anderson. So our two showrunners here were taking the lead on, on the script here. Uh, we open at a construction site in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Uh, one of the workers gets spooked by like a scarecrow and, and, and the crow on the on the shoulder. It gives a kind of ominous uh, image there. He hears some rustling in the in the cornfield and then he crouches down and notices what looks like a blue hand uh, in the soil. Starts to dig around it and then all of a sudden the hand grabs him, yanks him underground. Um, 
there's a nice little i mean it's it's literally a 42 second opener but there's a nice racking up of tension here isn't there with, with you know with the crow cowing or the railway crossing bell going and it's mm-hmm. a nice very short and sweet effective opener oh yeah definitely um you know this opener specifically put me in that zone that we talked about a lot that comparison zone right between fringe and the x-files mm-hmm. um and i have more on that later but it's um i really like that opener because it, it really got me engaged i'm like holy crap what is pulling people underground what's going on we're in for a ride yeah absolutely and yeah i, I agree with you with the with the x-files vibe i think we're going to pr- probably get into that quite a bit through this uh, through this episode um so olivia is out of hospital now uh, and she's back to work I like the I like the establishment or or reestablishment of certain aspects here. So Olivia, despite her injuries, she's she's ever the strong, independent woman. Uh, Peter remarks about her um, having a hard time accepting help is a reminder of of her fierce independence. And then I love the retort from Olivia: "Oh, you could take my bags," which is a, <laughs> you know, which is a lovely reminder of their relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and how easy they're you know. With each other, and then we're also reminded that uh, our our beloved Charlie is no more, and he's he's <sighs> shape shift has now taken his form. I was sad when Charlie went last episode. Me too. Me too. I was. That was another shocking moment because um, you kind of don't expect a main character. Because I mean, Charlie is a main character in season one, and you don't expect him to, um, you know, be taken out like that. And so I guess that's just the way the cookie crumbles, though. And it was, yeah, I was kind of sad. And I also like the the quick scene between Peter and Boyles because Peter's kind of taken this temporary leadership role, hasn't he? Whilst Olivia's been incapacitated, and he's he's managed to get like a house for him and Walter and things like that. Which is always interesting to me, like how Peter uh, navigates the situation, um, because you know Olivia and Astrid are the FBI agents in this in in, in this uh, in this group, and then you have Peter that sometimes he comes in and it's kind of like. Okay, I'm in charge. Uh, I'm the leader. And um, it, not in this episode particularly, but there are other yeah. episodes um, later on where I'm like, when did Peter start carrying a gun? I don't... Why is he going before Olivia through that door? I don't understand. Um, but it just happens that way. And that's not a commentary on anything. It's just it's just funny for me when that happens. Yeah, yeah it's almost as though that, that he's, he's, he's somehow unnoticeably gone through the ranks of, of being a, a kind of citizen counseling agent to to an agent almost. right 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 like he just became an agent one day and we weren't paying attention when it happened yeah i think the writers like to do that often they kind of either slip something under your nose or they slip something from out under your nose which i'll get to you later with uh, agent jessup yes uh which is yeah which is one of those oddities of, of fringe um but at the lab walter is investigating olivia's uh disappearance with with a very amusing setup with an electric car and a live frog uh try, trying to make the frog disappear <laughs> which is which is just lovely and here there's a little bit of a uh, of an expedition dump expedition exposition dump with kind of walter reminding olivia about her disappearance and, and about alternate universes and but i think i think what are your thoughts on on how fringe deals with exposition because it does it quite a lot and sometimes it does it really well and sometimes it just feels like an info dump yeah so i don't mind it um because i do think that it puts the re or not reader it puts the viewer 
um, in that place where they want your mind to be, um, especially for a show like Fringe, where at least by season two, there were a lot of comments about how hard it was to follow and mm. people were disengaging from it because it was just too hard to follow. Um, so I don't mind it when they do it. Also, um, for me, because I'm one of those viewers, I, I tend to get a little carried away with like my theories and everything that's happening. And so for me, it's nice when Walter's like, so you disappeared and you were in an alternate universe and you were that. But then I think there is something to be said for um, how it might come across sometimes with Walter. Because it's usually Walter doing the exposition. Yeah. Um, and so it seems a little heavy handed. Um, when, you know, he's always having to give this exposition to Olivia, sometimes to Peter or to Astrid. Um, so it does start to grate, I think, on people with, you know, why is Walter always doing this? Yeah, I mean, they do it They do it quite well in the season one finale because they're, you know, they're, they've got characters telling another character who doesn't know that information. So Olivia is telling Charlie all about the alternate universe for the very first time. So Charlie is by proxy, the audience as it were. Um, but it, it works when like that, but when it, when Walter's telling a character who will probably already know that information, that's when it does come a little bit heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like, I like it here because the writers are all almost having a little laugh with the audience because Olivia's basically saying, Walter, you've already told me this. So, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of saying, okay, you know, there might be some audiences, with, you know, with an encyclopedic memory who can remember everything from every episode, or there's others that might need just that little kind of reminder, just to just to bring them up to you know, up to date to where we are. So it's a True. nice touch, and it is. And um, you know, to sort of keep this in mind, uh, 2009, we're not quite at the binge everything phase yet. No. Um. So, like I was saying earlier, I I had to buy. The box set. This might have been on Netflix. I can't really remember. I know it was on Netflix for a period after it ended, um, but I don't know what was going on while it was on. But, um, you know, it was more of a you buy a DVD box set or you catch the reruns still. Like, we weren't at the point of, okay, we're going to watch season one over the course of two days, and you'll remember. Um, so this is still in an era where, you know, we're kind of week by week pulling people in. So a little exposition, I think doesn't hurt but it can become heavy-handed mm, definitely and i think lost did this quite a lot as well because that was another show that got very complex um, yes and the need for a, a recap at the beginning of the episode and several characters just kind of repeating something that's happened was was necessary mm-hmm. also these guys they uh, the abrams crew um they also strike me as these big lovers of comic books yeah and so I think in the writing, those sort of like, let's repeat things the way that comic books do come across. I don't know. That's just me, though. No, no, completely. No, that's, a, that's a really good point, actually. Um, and then after, after that moment, there's a, lovely, there's a lovely moment between Walter and Olivia here where Walter basically tells Olivia that, that if she died uh, in the car crash, he wouldn't have known what to do with himself. It's just a, a really nice John. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Noble moment there. Yeah. And I mean, we're just episodes away from him uh, saying to Peter, do you think she'll call me dad? So. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the team arrive at Lansdale, uh, where the construction worker was sucked underground. Um, here we meet uh, Sheriff Howard Go Lightly. What a cracking name that is. <laughs> um, uh, and any X-Files fans, I think, will recognise him as well. He, The actor's name is Charles Martin Smith, and he played Dr. Osborne in F. Emasculata. He was the doctor that was uh, that Scully worked with to try and work out um, where the disease was coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also here we get possibly one of my favourite lines from Walter ever, uh, where Sheriff Golightly comments that he doesn't quite know what to make of the disappearances, and Walter answers, "Well, we're all victims of our own gene pool. Someone must have peed in yours," <laughs> <laughs> which is my all-time favourite Walter line. Um, oh yeah, but this—I mean, this whole scene is is is. As, you know, is is completely full of lovely Walter dialogue. Like uh, the air is quite auspicious today, and he flings his arms out into the air. It's just, um, and another line was, "It's a fresh mystery, pregnant with possibilities." I've never <laughs> used the word. I've never heard the word "pregnant" used in that context before. Um, yeah, just some lovely, yeah. lo- lo- bleh, lovely lines of dialogue. Well, and saying you asked a little bit ago about. Um, you know, sort of where we are in, when season two opens. And I think that's one thing, too, is that you have Walter coming out of his shell a little bit more. Yeah. Because he, you know, he's always been this Walter. Like, Walter's never changed. Um, but, you know, you start to see him being a little bit more um, vibrant, I guess, is, a, is the best word for it. Yeah, definitely. And there's, there's quite a few episodes later on that, that focus on him trying to adapt to the outside world again, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so at the, at the Lansdale police office, Olivia Olivia starts to hear an incredibly amplified sound of, of uh, a fly, which really freaks her out. And this is the beginning of, of the effects uh, of travelling across the other side. And, uh, and this happens through about three times, I think, through the episode, um, where she's hearing a fly. And then later on, when she's in the uh, Hughes house, she, she hears the breathing of of someone else in the house. It's a, uh, it's, it's a real freaky moment, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. And then Peter notices a, a fishing lure for night fishing, uh, which basically bears the name of the episode title. Um, and it's interesting that, that the, that the episode title is some, is to do with something that doesn't really relate to the main plot at all. It's, it's more about Peter and the relationship with Walter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking, too, is that um, it's there. It's just something that he just finds. It's almost like a plot device. Um, like, the episode title itself is the plot device uh, for Walter and Peter to come together. Yeah, definitely. 
and then we, we get a quick scene here with uh, with evil charlie shapeshifter charlie um who contacts the other side with the typewriter in the mirror that we saw in last week's episode i just want i, I wanted to get your your thoughts on this communication device that they've used you know i actually like it because um it is so low tech that it makes sense and you know because i think that's one thing that's come up um on this podcast before is how um in previous season one episodes is how some of the technology that they use uh in 2009 we look at it in 2020 and we're like okay you should have just kept that you should have just kept it it's not that advanced Mm. um but the typewriter is so low tech um and it's just like this idea that oh it mirrors to the other side that just makes it work it's kind of ingenious um you know, it's not something that's super fancy. Again, for me, it's sort of like equalizing these two universes, right? Like, that side is not way more advanced. They are in some ways. Um, but then we have the edge in other ways. I don't know. So I, I like the device. What are, you, what are you thinking about it? No, no, I, I, I agree with you. And what I like about what Fringe does with, particularly with uh, the tech that, that Walt has used or all or, or these or the different technology that Walter and William have used in the past. Like you said, it's very, it's very retro. It's very low tech. And I've always liked the, the, uh, the contrast between that and the massive dynamic headquarters, which is uber futuristic. You know, we've got, uh, walls that have moving digital words and, and, uh, and Nina's see-through glass mobile phone. And I've always loved the contrast between Walter's tech and, and Massive Dynamics tech. And it's, it's always worked. And as you said, it, it, it makes you believe that it can work more than if it was this high tech, sparkly, white gleaming thing, as it were. If you're not right. me. And it gives it a, you know, it gives a show a design character, doesn't it? And, and uh, a, a feel and a, and a ambience that, that, that really works. Yeah, and I, you know, to that point, I like it because there's also, um, because of the plot itself, right, there are these ties to the 1980s, Um, so these 80s motifs that keep circling back um, into the show throughout the five seasons, Mm. and to me, that typewriter is a great one. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost as good as the uh, universal rift plug device in the uh, season two finale, which is literally a black cylinder with a dial. And it and it, yes. it plugs an entire hole in the universe. I, I love it. And you never question it because you believe Walter and you believe what Walter can do. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, right, is, is that I believe that Walter or someone with Walter's uh, knowledge and expertise could create that device. And even though it's so simple and low tech to me to be like a typewriter, um, I totally think Walter could finagle that. Yeah. Uh, so back at the lab, uh, Walter is getting all excited about this blue substance that they found on the cornfield where the, where the construction work disappeared. Uh, and some accidentally spills in his hand and uh, it turns out to be a paralytic uh, with human genes in it. Another amusing scene with, with, with Walter basically saying, you know, you're going to have to undo my flies because I can't pee by myself. Yeah, he's like, I have to urinate in 23 minutes. Yes. And Peter's like, cool. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the exact time that that, that, that is, I, this makes me laugh. So it's like, how do you know the exact time of when you're going to need a wee? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, so um, 
yeah, they work out that the, the the substance is paralytic and it has some human genes in it. So they start talking about mutants. Um, and as a point, I think that all these little amusing scenes with Walter throughout this episode in particular, uh, for me, makes what is actually a, a very straightforward fright fest uh, and a kind of straightforward procedural episode. It just it just makes it a lot more fun. I didn't know what you thought about it. I mean, do you think it's a good episode anyway, or do you think these moments with Walter and 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 Peter and Olivia are definitely needed to elevate the episode? Oh, I think they definitely make the episode um, because, uh, and I hope this isn't out of place, but like, oh, it is out of place. Never mind. I'll keep that to myself for a second. Um, I, I just I think they're well placed because otherwise you're looking at whether or not um, this is an episode of the X Files, mm. and even though you, if you're a viewer who's really familiar with the X Files, and you're like, oh, this reminds me of this episode, this episode, and this episode. Um, it's still so uniquely fringe. Um, and that's because of the characters. That's because of what they've done. Um, sort of the tongue-in-cheek moments, I think, really make this episode. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so they, they find evidence that Andre Hughes uh, has been at the scene of all the disappearances, which spurs Olivia and Peter to pay him a visit. Uh, when they get to it, into the house... Uh, Olivia's hearing goes in overdrive again and that's when she starts hearing the the breathing and is convinced that someone else is in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, I I find this a little bit interesting because you really get a sense of how vulnerable Olivia is at the minute to any kind of attack because she has this support stick that she's having to use at the minute. Um, And I noticed that when she puts it to one side when she's walking along the corridor upstairs that she's limping very badly. And you're thinking if she's attacked at any moment now she's at an... a very bad disadvantage. Um, I just thought that was a that was a it was a interesting moment of vulnerability there for Olivia. Yeah, I mean she's very physically, but also emotionally vulnerable um, in this moment because I feel like uh, in this scene in particular where she's upstairs and she starts hearing things, she's just kind of like, "What's going on?" Um, you know, and then um, when she ultimately fires her weapon. And realizes what she's done. I mean, she just completely melts. Like, I mean, she melts down um, because it was very, very dangerous situation. Yeah, man, that bit is uh, is. It, I mean, I've watched the episode countless times now, and I still, you still flinch because it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the edit to that is is so well done because poor Peter is scared shitless. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the look he gives her, just like Jesus, Olivia, what are you doing? And and, and yeah, she knows she... it as well. She just barely missed his head. Yeah. Like, barely. Man, that was a close call. Yeah. And I think that, I think, even though it's not directly said, I think that that is one of the reasons why uh, Nina pays her a visit in the hospital later. Uh, maybe through, from Peter to Broyles and then Broyles to Nina, maybe, that, she, that she's in, in need of help. Mm-hmm. So back at the FBI, they interrogate... Um, Hughes trying to connect him to the uh, the victims. What do you think about the scene? Uh, in particularly John Savage's performance as, as Andrew Hughes. I don't feel super sympathetic. Um, let me just leave it at he's not one of the more sympathetic parental figures no. uh, that we come across on the show. I think I, I th- 
I don't know whether it's the script or or the character, but I think they're trying to get across that the character of of Hughes is remorseful for something. Um, uh, but but at at the point they ask for his blood sample is when is is when he switches into this very standoffish no kind of character. But I I, I think they were trying to get across that he's remorseful, but I don't know. It just misses the mark ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. But Olivia. Uh, yeah, Olivia gets checked out at the hospital again, and that's when Nina pays a visit, and um, she offers some help to overcome the mental trauma that uh, Olivia is going through, uh, and hands hands her the card to see Sam Weiss, who who we'll get to later. Um, but I will say now that he is possibly one of my favourite minor characters of Fringe ever. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, so here we get uh, the very brief scene with Agent Jessup, who is sent to the Hughes household just to look look around the house and and, and have a poke around. And that's when she finds a newspaper a, a newspaper clipping uh, in a Bible, which has uh, which is about Hughes's wife and child dying seventeen years ago. Uh, when Walter finds out, he immediately asks for an exhumation exhumation order to investigate the bodies. And then when they when, when they open the baby boy's coffin, the body is missing, and there's a hole dug out um, at the bottom of the coffin down to the ground. Which is it's a it's a really it's really good imagery. It's just like whoa! It's just like it's a it's a freaky, creepy moment. And meanwhile, uh, yeah, and as they're doing this, this this scene really turns my skin because um, as they're, as they're exhuming the bodies, that's when Hughes is making that hanging noose out of the metal wires and biting it with his mouth. Yeah, which uh, it's it's a really horrible that, horrible scene, and it seems like an awful way to die too. Yeah, just horrible, absolutely horrible way yeah. to die. But he's, I mean, he's obviously he's obviously protecting something, um, mm-hmm. you know, either protecting something or he's or he can't face the truth about something. Right. Um, uh, now about Agent Jessup. Now, from what I've read, it's my understanding that the character of agent jessup was intended to be in fringe a lot longer than the two episodes that she was in is it is this something that you've heard as well uh actually no no i, I can't remember where i read it uh it, it might have been one of our fellow podcasters kurt when i recorded with him i think he he talked about uh there was a an intention to to include her in a, a longer story arc and to go down this kind of religious path because um, there's that scene at the end of the last episode where she's checking i think she's checking bible references against cases that, that the fringe team had in in season one so i think this was a a, a route that they were going to pursue mm-hmm. but then after this scene and after this episode she is never heard of or seen of ever again <laughs> just 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 completely disappears but i think what do you think to her character and this religious angle that they could have gone down and how it might have how it might have benefited or not benefited to see the uh, the series. Uh, you know, I'm glad they didn't, to be honest. Mm. Um, I feel like that's been done. Well, let me say, I, it's been done before, right, in, in the X-Files, but also I, it could be done again. Um, but I think what the show does... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus in terms of like framing the two Walters as as these men who play God sometimes. And so it's not this overtly Judeo-Christian religious component. Yeah. It's just more of this idea of, um, to quote Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, uh, we were too busy asking, could we do it? Instead of asking, should we do it? <laughs> um, so framing these characters as those types of people who, they have all this power because they're so brilliant. They could figure out anything. But it, they don't think about the ethics and the morals. And um, so I'm glad that they stuck with that a little bit more than, you know, this religious arc. And also, I don't remember when Suits started, but this seems about around the time that Suits started. Yeah. And Meghan Markle was in that. So I, I don't know if that's what it was or um, if the story just dictated going another way. But I think it's perfectly fine without that really that religious aspect to it yeah i agree uh i think having a kind of religious against science thing would have would have taken it well too near to the x-files dynamic which which focuses on that in many many episodes um particularly between mold and scully and scully's kind of battle with herself between science and religion so yeah i think we would have gone into territory already well trodden uh if we if if we'd gone down that road and so at the lab walter is exploring uh mrs hughes body and they discover uh that she had lupus which would have made her incapable of having a child um and there's a line here that i think has a bit of a dual meaning when walter says the grave of a boy who was not in the grave uh reference to peter do you think Yes, yes. Um, and speaking of season one finale things that kind of threw me, uh, when we see Peter's gravestone, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Did he fake his death? And yeah, so yes, I, I definitely think so. Yeah. Um, Walter finds out that basically uh, in order to uh, have the baby survive in Mrs. Hughes, he's basically mixed mixed the baby's DNA with uh, like scorpion DNA, possibly mole rat DNA. Uh, which ooh, that seems pretty uh, horrific, if you ask me. Oh yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on on this scene in the lab? Well, you know, I think again we have a good monster of the week episode that I think is really bringing us closer to, um, you know, what Walter did with regards to Peter, mm. um, and you know. Again, pushing that envelope of, you know, just because I can do something, because I love you, because um, I couldn't possibly live without my son, should I do it? Is it a good idea? 
Um, and this just sounds barbaric, really. I mean, I don't think there's any other word for it. Yeah. Um, because this, this child, like, what quality of life do they have? Really? I mean, they have to live underground. It, it's just so, it's so awful. Um, so, again, I think this story, um, even though it's kind of out, it's out there. It's a good Monster of the Week episode. Um, you know, and even though it's out there doing its thing uh, in that arena, I think it is drawing us back to sort of these questions about Walter's own ethics as a father and a scientist. Yeah, and it's something I think uh, a lot of the Monster of the Week episodes in season two do really, really well, which is they'll have this contained story, but they will always explore the ongoing themes and relationships with the characters. So I think I think it was either uh, Abrams or, or uh, J.H. Wyman who coined the phrase myth alone episodes so they're standalone episodes but they always have this this myth arc elements to them anyway right which i think is what makes it slightly different from the x-files uh which wasn't always which wasn't always serialized only only during the myth arc episodes um and just gives it that 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 unique character and and, and always explores the relationship between walter and peter uh and then the trio as a as a as a full unit as well. So we get a scene here where the sheriff is uh, is is putting up some police stay away. This is a crime scene tape, um, uh, and we get like the ground kind of uh, swelling upwards uh, as as the creature again. It, uh, is X Files screaming at you here? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it is. It is screaming right at me <laughs> to the point that I was trying to find. There is an episode I was like, I can't think of the name of it last night. I was getting really annoyed and no one would help me. So there's, <laughs> anyway. there's, there's three, epi- there's, there's three episodes that this episode reminded me of, of the X-Files. One was home, uh-huh. uh, just in the kind of vibe, uh, the house in the middle of nowhere. Um, Hungary yes. was another one. Okay. Uh, and field trip, which is what I think is the biggest uh yes kind of thing because that deals with, with a monster underground right and it takes the people under there and then kills them yeah. at its own pace uh there was so i didn't think of hungary which is where the guy is uh genetically he has to eat other people to survive um but there was another episode and i thought it was in a later season i can remember the cold open clear as day can't remember what season it's in can't remember the title um, but this, this like genetically modified human being that like starts attacking people. Um, and I was like, eventually I'll figure out what that was. But, uh, I was like, that reminds me of this episode too. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think the hunger, uh, link is the kind of genetically modified human, uh, element to it, isn't it? And, uh, and, yeah. ch- and changing a human into this weird, weird hybrid, but yeah, a lot of there's a lot of X Files ideas uh, piled into this episode. Yeah, but you know, I wanted to say too that they're piled in here, but I didn't feel like it was. Um, I didn't feel like I would just sit there and be like, "This ripped off the X Files." It, it was piled in there in a way that it made me be like, "Oh, it reminded me of this episode." And in fact, last night when I watched this episode, Night of Desirable Objects. I did go and watch a couple of episodes of the X-Files afterwards. Mm. Um, so it reminded me of the X-Files in that way of like, you know, oh yeah, this is a good nod. Not necessarily a, this is a ripoff. 
Yeah, I'd agree. A good nod is a you know is a is a really good way of putting it. And I think there's there's a lot of X Files connections that run through season two because they just moved to they'd moved from filming in I think it was uh, Los Angeles for season one and then moved to Vancouver uh, from season two onwards. So it makes sense that they'd have these little nods to the X Files. A lot of actors that are starred in the X Files starring guest appearances throughout season two as well. So there's a nice there's a nice relationship and nods to the X-Files throughout this season, which which I like. And it's not a rip-off, as you say. It's it, it, it's a nice kind of uh, tip of the hat, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Olivia and Peter turn up at, at the Hughes' house just, just after the sheriff is pulled underground. Uh, and they go around searching the house. And that's when Peter, she, he finds the baby's room that's concealed behind the wallpaper. So uh, Hughes is obviously trying to... He's, He's either trying to forget about about his son underground and, and, and what happened in the past, or he's just basically concealing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go down to the cellar. Uh, Olivia finds like a, a loose wall, and that's when that's when uh, the hybrid boy grabs Olivia, starts dragging her into the into the tunnel, and Peter manages to be the hero and fight it off and and stabs it, I think, with a bone. If I, mm-hmm. if I if I remember rightly, and that's when the the hybrid baby tries to get away, but the ground collapses and he gets crushed by a police car, which is a really really bad way to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what did you think? Just to just to talk about the practical effects, what did you think to the practical effects to the the creature? I shall I shall put in inverted commas the creature, the baby boy Hughes. Um, it was it was kind of grotesque. It was, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was a I w- because I was trying to I was trying to think whether you know is it is it going to be physically deformed and genetically modified or is it just the the DNA that they've done it? But he looks he doesn't look quite human, does he? No, no, he looks like um oh okay. So I like Lord of the Rings. I've seen it many times. Oh, Gollum. Books. Yes, thank you, thank you. I was like, what is the name of that character? <laughs> um, he looks like Gollum, and and the the animatronic reminded me slightly of uh the little i can't remember his name but in uh in humbug in the x-files episode humbug you know the little yes. fella that comes out of the the guy's belly yeah his twin brother yeah his twin brother it was it was just the animatronic and the way it moved reminded me a hell of a lot of that it turns out we've now identified like five episodes of the x-files in this episode <laughs> <laughs> And I like the little touch afterwards here where we learn that Mr. Hughes has planted bear traps all around the house to try and capture his son to prevent any more killings. Which kind of connects back to this sense of remorse in the interrogation where, which is why I'm annoyed because um, I don't think the actor quite got that across. And I mm-hmm. think I think this was intended to for us to think back and... and, and uh, think that mr you know mr hughes is is remorseful of the killings because he feels it's his fault even though his his wayward mutant son is underground and, and doing it by himself so but it doesn't quite it doesn't quite all link together enough does it no no but there's also a nice thematic link here between mr hughes wallpapering up that room is almost like wallpapering up his memories of his son and trying to to uh 
erase the memories of, of this monstrosity and also hiding the newspaper clipping in his bible kind of links a little bit to when Olivia's in the car with evil Charlie and questioning whether she wants to remember what happened to her so this kind of theme of memory and wanting to wanting or not wanting to remember things I know it's tenuous but, I just, but it, was, it, was, it, was, it was just a little link that I thought yeah no I totally pick up on that too um because I think with Olivia, she is really on the fence there. She is just kind of like, let's just move on. And of course, Evil Charlie is like, okay, well, I need you to remember so that I can extract the information from you. Um, but I don't know. And I like the scene where Olivia and Charlie are in the car um, because it's really, it's kind of sad, right? Because Olivia doesn't know he's been replaced. Mm. And she thinks she's having this moment with Charlie where he's like, you know, starting to see the world from where she sees it. And it's just basically this guy that's trying to get her to, you know, give him the info, the intel that he needs. Yeah, it is sad because you think, you know, or she thinks that, you know, he's he's made a breakthrough. He's with the team. But alas, no, he's an evil shapeshifter. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a few ending scenes here. There's a lovely scene here with Peter. Um, I love the story he tells Walter which is basically him in a roundabout way asking if Walter would like would like to go night fishing with him but yeah a lovely moment and and as we mentioned earlier it's interesting that the episode title seems to focus on on this uh this fishing lure and it's it's almost as if the episode is almost about that small moment between father and son and the horror story plot is is a kind of means to an end to see their relationships moments so I, I just wonder what you, what your thoughts were on that uh yeah so i mean i don't, i hope i'm not too repetitive across the few episodes um that we've recorded um but uh, to quote uh jamie lannister from the game of thrones uh the things i do for love right mm-hmm. um because we are starting to sort of get that background Um, You know, Peter and Walter's relationship for me is what drives this entire series. Um, And and actually, it's more of like Walter's love for Peter and the things that a father would do for his son um, just completely drive this entire series. And I think that John Noble and Joshua Jackson do a great job of bringing that dynamic to life. Um, With this particular episode, I do think that um, we are seeing this story of what a father has done for his son um, and the horrors of it, right? Because of just what the father does is, I mean, it's completely unethical, right? Like to mix and splice DNA like that is, mm. you, you shouldn't, right? You're playing, you know, going back to that religious thing, like you're playing God in a way that you should not be. Um, and so I, I definitely think that here we have set that stage of like the horrors that can happen, right? When a father's love takes him too far. But then we get this nice scene where Peter, you know, basically asks his dad to go fishing with him. And and that's like such an, I don't know, is that a is that a thing that, uh, this is going to sound really crazy, but I'm sorry. Is this a thing that would happen in uh, the UK or is this like more of an American thing um, as far as like the fishing father-son? Uh, I, do you know what? I don't know. I, I do think night fishing does happen in the UK. Um, I think more up in Scotland way, um, with all the locks and everything over there. But uh, but I've never been night fishing. <laughs> um, 
but I think it is, yeah. But I think there is a, I mean, I cycle. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Through uh, along our riverbanks and you always see on a weekend, you always see a father with his young son and, you know, they're getting the fishing equipment out. So it does happen. Definitely. Yeah, I, I live in a part of the U.S. where fishing is a huge thing here because hmm. uh, we live on a bunch of lakes. But yeah, so I just I just always make that connection of, oh, it's a nice father-son outing. And he's asking his dad to spend time with him, which is a long way from the Peter we meet in season one. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's their relationship really evolves into an actual father and son relationship uh, for most of season two. Um and not the kind of babysitter or the reluctant babysitter that he was in season yeah. one. And then we get Olivia, who, who who's trying to have a relaxing bath and just getting this overload of sound cacophony from from uh, conversations outside to the popping of bubbles in the bath. And that's when she decides to pay her first visit to Sam Wise at the 16 Lanes Bowling Alley. Uh, and as I briefly mentioned, we are introduced to one of my, if not my favourite, minor characters of Fringe. Uh, what do you think then to this character introduction and their and their first interaction together? You know, I like the way they set up Samwise here, um, because when he basically tells her, "Oh, yo, that guy's not here. He's not here," and she starts to leave, he's like, "So are you just gonna give up?" And I was like, "Oh, dang! I see what he did to her. I like it." Um, so just, I thought that was a good introduction, um, and also sets this character up as someone who might know more about what's going on. Um, because, I mean, you have to think about it, right? Like, Olivia could totally use therapy, but what therapist could she possibly talk to about this? Um, but she finds, through Nina, Sam Weiss, who is like, yeah, sure, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And he's like, you know, not taken aback by any of it. So, I do like his introduction. Um, this actor, I'm actually rewatching The Minimalist right now, and this actor has, um, a pretty significant role in that show, too. So, it's been kind of fun. Excellent. Yeah, he he does come across as this mystical guru archetype, doesn't he? Uh, this this yeah. kind of mentor, mysterious mentor where we don't know anything about his past and we never do, which I love, by the way. He's, he's just kept as this enigma. Um, and he helped Nina when, you know, when uh, she had cancer, I think, at, at, at some point. So we don't know where he's from or his background but he just helps people in certain circumstances um and the fact that he's a manager of a of a a bowling alley just just adds to the to the uh <laughs> to the uh weirdness and idiosyncrasies of, of of the character but yeah i love him he's brilliant and he gets some great scenes with olivia later on in the in the, in the season yeah he does so then we be, we basically end with another typewriter communication uh with evil charlie basically being told by whoever is talking to him on the other side that you must make Olivia remember and then we get fade out so uh Neosha your final thoughts on the episode as a as as a whole as a whole I really enjoyed it um like I said it 
It does seem like uh, one of those Myth Alone episodes, which is totally fine. Um, I like the nods to the X-Files, and through our conversation, we've identified like five or six episodes <laughs> by this point. Um, and, and, you know, I just... It's what makes Fringe great. It's the kind of stuff, like, you get your Walter and Peter moments, your Olivia moments. Um, you get to see the team working together, and you get to see this uh, sci-fi uh, Fringe event happening. So, I like it. It's good for me. Love it. I think I'd agree with you for the most part. It's, it, you know, as you said, it's 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 a, a myth alone. It's mostly standalone. I think anyone who likes the standalone Fringe episodes probably better, you know, make the most of it, because soon... It, it's serialized from the word go so uh these these kind of standalone episodes probably hang around for the first half of season two and then it's all it's all it's all one big story isn't it well all, all one big several stories all, all at once but uh but yeah i think the episode could have been a bit mediocre but i think the dynamic between our trio and the lovely moments of walter and peter really elevate the episode yeah, and then to uh, piggyback on that, because uh, I like that you mentioned the horror, the uh, horror, sorry, um, the the that story here, because, like, when Olivia is getting dragged out of there and the way that she's screaming, um, you know, that was quite emotional for me. Mm. Um, because Olivia, you know, as you mentioned earlier, up until about this point, she start, her, her character is starting to change a little bit. She really is that strong, independent woman, um, and here she's like screaming and like asking Peter to help her. Um, and so I really, that stuck out too. And so I, yeah, I, I appreciated that element of the story. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it kind of harks back to that vulnerability that, that she's not, she's not all 100% at the minute and it frustrates her and she feels, I think, I, I think it really gets to her, particularly when we get into later episodes, when she starts getting frustrated with Samwise's approach to helping her. Uh, and she feels it's not moving on fast enough or whatever. But she, I think she's frustrated that she's not, she hasn't got the 100% independent strong woman uh, that she has been because of the experience that she's had crossing over. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's, I think that is something that would happen when your whole world view is blown up because it's one thing to be like, oh, there, there are evil people in the world and I am on a mission to stop these evil people. And there's a whole other ball game, really, to find out that you're working with multiple worlds and people are after you and you don't know why. And um, so, yeah, I think there is a lot to be said for just sort of how Olivia, her trajectory changes. And I love Anna Torv in all five seasons. And I think she does amazing work with the material um, and especially as Olivia, uh, does start to evolve. Yeah. I absolutely love Anna Torvin in anything she does. She's, uh, I recently finished watching, um, Mindhunter. She's, she's wonderful in that as well. Yes. Yes. She's great. Very good. Uh, yeah. She also did a horror movie called Stephanie a couple years back. All right. Um, that is kind of, ups- the ending's kind of upsetting. Um, but I liked the movie itself. It was a nice horror movie. Okay, so did you did you spot the observer this episode? I did. I didn't. I didn't know where it was. I had to actually cheat and look it up on the uh, on the internet, but uh, but I did freeze frame the shot, and I was like, That's, "Really? <laughs> it's tiny, <laughs> tiny little observer." <laughs> but yeah, a hard one to spot. Uh, the cipher's mirror, and I was wondering what you think this this word relates to with, with the episode. 
I've got my own kind of theories, but I just wanted to get your take on it first. Um, so I think it has to do with like just sort of like seeing yourself like on the other side. If that makes any sense. Yes. Especially like in terms of the father son stuff. Yep. Um, and just sort of seeing yourself on the other side, but also mirror in, we have the typewriter and I think that's all that, that might be too simplistic to be like, it's the typewriter and you can mirror the typewriter to the universes. I think it has more to do with the father son, um, dynamic in this episode between Walter and Peter and between Hughes and his son. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, it could be the typewriter because you never know with the ciphers. They're sometimes they're sometimes unbelievably abstract, and then other times they are just simple. But uh, but I like the idea uh, that it you know has to do with the father and son relationship. So we'll go with that. Yay! <laughs> okay, so that just leaves if you would like to give it a go the episode quiz. Sure, let's do it. Okay, uh, as usual, five questions, uh, four normal questions, and uh, a quote. So, question one. In which town in Pennsylvania does the construction worker get grabbed underground in the cold open? Uh-oh. Um, was it Hersheyville? No, that wasn't right, was it? No. 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 You want another guess, or...? No, okay. it's just... you gotta you got to be stern with me. Yeah. <laughs> it's Lansdale. Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Okay. Oh my gosh, that... Oh, we just mentioned that. This is not going to go well. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, question two. What is the name of Lansdale's sheriff? Oh, Golightly? Yes, I will accept the surname. It's Howard Golightly, but I was going to accept the, just the surname. Uh, which is which is far more memorable than Howard, so... <laughs> Excellent, so one out of two so far. Question three. Agent Jessup finds a newspaper clipping about Hughes' wife and child dying. Where is the newspaper clipping hidden? Um, in a Bible. Correct. Two out of three. Question four. What disease should have prevented Mrs. Hughes from having a baby? Uh, lupus. Correct. You're going well so far. That's uh, three out of four. And the last question is a quote. Who said this to who? I tell you, he met a girl and moved away, and you're just going to give up? Um, That's Sam to Olivia. That's correct. Yep, Sam to Olivia. Four out of five. I think that's a, a very worthy score. Yes, I'm celebrating over here. Good. Crack open the champagne. Four out of five. <laughs> yeah, these quizzes are somehow harder than the exams I have to take, and I don't understand how. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing something right, then. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so that just brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, Neosha. Thank you for having me back on, Luke. No worries at all. And we are we're going to have you back on for some season of the episodes as well. I hope. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? And do you have any projects or podcasts that you would like to plug? Uh, yes, so you can find my personal um, Twitter account where I just uh, vomit fan opinions all over the place. Life is a comedy. Life is spelled with a Y, so life is a comedy. Um, and also, I have a podcast that is um, that I host that is dedicated to Alice and Janney projects, um, and that is AJ's Cafe Flamingo on both Twitter and Instagram, AJ, AJS Cafe Flamingo. Excellent, brilliant. I would, I would definitely go and check out that podcast as a as a fan of the West Wing myself. Uh, it's, uh, I would, I would definitely pop over. 
you can find me personally at Luke underscore Winch on Twitter. Uh, I'm generally just uh, doing uh, geeky science, science fiction, uh, X, X-Files, Fringe, all the lot. So, uh, And all the details of the show will be on the outro. Uh, I'll be back next week with another episode and guest. But until then, stay safe and we'll be seeing you either over here or over there. Observing the Pattern was created by Andrew Brooker and Tony Black and is produced by Tony Black and Luke Winch for the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review to help more people find the show. You can find the podcast on Twitter at the OTP Podcast and on Facebook by typing in Observing the Pattern. You can also find We Made This on Facebook and on Twitter at We Made This Pod, where you can find shows on film, TV, music, and broader popular culture. Also check out our website, wemadethispod.com. Thanks again for listening. Elsewhere on We Made This. Pull or pass. Across these films, obviously, Spider-Man in the comics, he created his own web fluid and had, like, wrist-mounted mechanics. Um, he actually has that as part of his body in this. So every yeah. every time he's swinging, it's, 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 it's mucus or snot or spit. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice little touch. I, again, I think... It, from memory, that's from the ultimate line as well. Like, oh, is it from the ultimate? Yeah, literally, like it drips. It feels like that's what it should have been in the comics. It wasn't. Everything happened in the ultimate Spider-Man. The giddy carousel of pop. Skipping through a few pages, and we get to a two-page feature. Is Bluey some the two-hit wonder? Can you imagine what incredibly tedious company <laughs> he must be? So. Oh, watch out, Baloo's about. Hilariously throws his female press officer in the swimming pool twice. Oh, how she must have laughed. So, uh, yeah, I just really took a dislike to this guy. And especially with the way he signs off with, I'm a decadent rock and roller. You just, oh, just get de- you straight down the dumper now, you. Frame to frame. The essential magic is the principle is exactly the same. The projected images is is the essence of it, no matter what kind of form the individual films themselves takes. It's the idea of making making peace with the past while also not being bound by it, I think is yeah. is moving. It's it's a massive love letter to cinema as a whole as well, isn't it? It's it's looking back at some of the historic films and, and films that have been before and it's it is just the love letters looking back through those rose tinted glasses check out all of these shows and more on the we made this podcast network <laughs>